Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to top athletes, coaches, influencers, and thinkers from around the world of strength sports. Presented by BarBend.com. Today on the Bar Bend Podcast, I'm very excited to have Emily Hu on the program. She's a multi-time world record holding power lifter, also someone who's crossed over into the mainstream on NBC's Titan Games during the first season. So really excited to have her on. Emily, thanks so much for joining the show. And if you wouldn't mind, give us a little, give us a little background in as to how you got involved in strength training and powerlifting. Yeah, okay. With powerlifting, I've been in the game for almost seven years now. I actually came in a kind of a roundabout way, and I, I came in a really late relative to most other people. I was I was thirty, and I wanted something to do. I wanted like a new hobby, as I was, you know, like having a quarter life crisis. Um, prior to powerlifting, I had never done strength training. I was a gymnast and a martial artist, and I wanted to try something new. And this thing called CrossFit was really popular. So I gave that a try. I also wanted to lose a lot of weight really fast. So I had a personal trainer. And this personal trainer told me that if I um, lifted really heavy weight, that'd be the best bang for my buck metabolically. You know, of course, at the time, I was a small Asian girl. So I said, oh, no, but I want to get big. I don't want to look like a man. And he told me, you know, just give it a try. And if you don't like it, then you can you can stop. So I gave it a try, and I was instantly addicted. And like he like he predicted, I lost a ton of weight, felt good, looked good, and it's kind of been a thing ever since. Do you think your background in gymnastics gave you like a leg up as far as proprioception? You know, we see a lot of gymnasts go into CrossFit weightlifting. Uh, gymnastics is like one of the big feeder sports that USA Weightlifting looks for athletes in. Do you think it gave you any benefit when you started your powerlifting training? Most definitely. The gymnastics made me incredible, incredibly flexible in my um, hips. So that really helped me pull sumo. And, you know, the thing people know me for or give me crap for is my arch. So <laughs> another thing is I was a martial artist longer than I was ever a gymnast. And I did traditional um, Chinese Kung Fu. So that's a lot of one-legged movements. Mm-hmm. I think that really improved my body awareness. Do you still, um, do you still incorporate any of, could it be, you know, training warm-ups, drills from your gymnastics and martial arts days into your powerlifting routine? So by and large, I don't do any kind of martial arts training anymore. But with gymnastics, I'll actually go to class, like maybe once every month. Maybe yeah, probably less. Maybe once every like two months, I go to a gymnastics class because I think the stretching is really good and it's really helpful. Mm. So I'll incorporate the gymnastic stretches for especially my back, and then sometimes I do the middle splits because I find it's a really great stretch after squatting. Awesome, that's awesome. Now, so you started powerlifting about seven years ago. When did you first start competing? And when was the first time where you thought to yourself, "Wow, I can I can be really good at this." So I started competing almost seven years ago. I wasn't powerlifting very long, but to be fair, I was doing really heavy bodybuilding with a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. So he would have me do bodybuilder style deadlifts. Um, I did squats every so often, but I never benched because it just to me seemed like the scariest thing in the world. And I was so certain I'd be terrible at it. So I uh, did deadlifts all the time. And I remember 275 was really easy. And at you know, at the time, this was like eight years ago, you didn't see girls in the gym deadlifting. If you did, maybe you saw them deadlifting like a quarter plate. So right. for that, I thought, hey, maybe I'm kind of strong. Um, it'd be really fun to enter a deadlift-only powerlifting competition. 
Awesome. Okay, so you started. It's it's so interesting because you're so well known for the the bench press. Yeah. It's when I first came across you, I was like, oh wow, that's. I mean, you know, astronomical all time world records in your weight class. So you started in a deadlift only meet. When did you start yeah. incorporating? When did you start kind of training for you know a full powerlifting competition? Uh, so I actually I think I remember the dates. I think I think it was September. I did my first. It was it was like. The summer of 2012, I did my first deadlift only competition and I had a great time. So I signed up for another competition three months later. And in the interim, I met this guy named Dan Green who had just broken a bunch of world records and he just so happened to like live near me. Pretty good guy to come across early in your powerlifting career. And at this point, he had not become a household name yet. So I said to him, Well, I've entered a deadlift competition three months from now. Could you train me? And he said, yes, but you know, realistically you should compete in a full power with me and you should train for everything. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to do this bench thing. And he was like, you know, it's not that bad. I'll teach you. And I was like, I really don't want to do this bench thing. I just deadlift. Maybe I'll consider squatting. And we trained for like one month. And then I had my, my second deadlift only competition and I didn't realize, but I signed up for the whole team. <laughs> So, so luckily, I, I at that point, I had known Dan for like two months and I called him panicking. And then he said, don't worry, you know, I'll come to the meet and I'll get you through this. And I got best lifter that meet. And then I broke every USPA state record for um, my weight class. That's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty happy accident there. So when did you first compete internationally and when did you break your first world record? Um, hmm. I know, I, there, I know there have been a few, so if you have to kind of like go yeah. back in the mental catalog. This, I think rum would be it. Rum, even though it's located in the U.S., I think that's, that's like an international meet because, you know, it was started with the hopes of like joining, joining North America. Um, rum, I think, was like probably a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. That I did bench only. Um, that was in Florida. And then first world record was, hmm, was three years later. Yeah, it was three years after my start date. Awesome. And that was in so the that, bench that was in the bench press, that right? Bench press. That was in the fifty-two kilo weight class. So I had really, really skinny for that. Um and I remember telling Dan six months out, hey, for boss of bosses, I wanna attempt this um I wanna attempt to break the fifty-two kilo uh, record. And he said, Okay, sure. So as we got really, really close to boss of bosses, maybe like we were one month out, I was well over the 52 kilo weight um, record. And then I was really close to the 56 kilo record. And so I said to Dan, do you think I could break both in, in this year? And he said, yeah, just give it a try. So I uh, broke the 52 kilo um, world record at boss of bosses in the summer of 2015. And then two weeks later, I just did a water cut and I showed up to, under the competition, I showed up to like SPF Worlds, and then I broke the record for the 56 kilo uh, weight class two weeks later. That's awesome. Now, so you, you're by this point, you're an established powerlifter, world record holder, competing regularly. Um, I, you're probably best known in the public consciousness, though, for, in the in the general public for your stint on NBC's The Titan Games. When and how did that come about? Oh, that was really random too. I, you know, I think in life I'm so lucky. I don't have to do much. And I, I feel like once you're open to opportunity, like you can find good ways to 
make things happen for yourself. Like I stumbled upon Dan by accident and that's like a very happy coincidence. Um, the tiny games was rather similar. I was, I was in Nepal backpacking and um, a friend of mine like pressed me into some Facebook casting call and it was a casting call for the Titan games. And then um, the casting director DM'd me and he said, Hey, you know, like we've looked into your powerlifting and we, we've looked uh, at your Instagram profile and you seem like just the person for the show. Could we, um, could we have like a phone call? And I said, well, I'm in Nepal, but I get back uh, Thursday night. When does audition close? And he was like, Friday. And I said, Oh, well, you know, I can't audition from Nepal. I don't have internet here. And then he said, well, okay, can you Skype me on Friday? And then we will just do a quickie phone interview. And if we like you, then we'll send that to the directors and that can serve as your audition. So at the time I worked at Google. And so I think I did my interview from my lunch break at Google. This might be the, this might be the easiest casting experience anyone's ever had for network television. Yeah, I, I was on vacation and NBC called me and I just took a phone call and then six months later I'm on TV. <laughs> I, I like I said, I think that I've talked to a lot of people. So I have a lot of friends who live in LA or they live in New York and they, they're professional actors. And if they were to hear this when they listen to this podcast, they're just gonna be so mad inside because they've <laughs> they worked their whole lives. No, no, that that is awesome. And it, it it makes sense. Like when I first heard about the Titan games, I was thinking in my head through, you know, athletes who I thought might be really good candidates for the show. And so when I saw your name announced, I was I was not surprised in the least. But what was what was your experience like filming that? Oh, it was really strange. You know, I think with a powerlifting competition, you go in knowing exactly what you're going to get and what you're going to do, and you plan very aggressively. And Unless you I, accidentally sign up for a full meet when you meet a deadlift. Only. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think one of my strengths is I'm a great planner. I'm actually like a really neurotic planner. So maybe that's not as much of a strength as sometimes a weakness for me. Um, but for powerlifting meets, I feel like I prepare really far ahead of time and I try to like train whatever weakness I think I have and prepare for any unknowns. With reality TV, you don't get any of that. You kind of just show up and this was like the first season. So I think, I think NBC was really fleshing out what they were going to do still. So mm -hmm. nobody knew what we were going to do, not even the staff. And we go there and you know, they didn't want to tell us anything because they didn't want anyone to have an unfair advantage. So we kind of found out when we would compete one or two days before. And then we didn't know what we were doing. And we just showed up and they said, all right, you're going to do this. Now go do it. So you didn't, it you, didn't, so you didn't know like what implements you'd be doing. You didn't know oh, no. what they tests you'd be doing. They truly kept it a surprise because they don't want anyone to have an advantage to start training for something. So did you find out <clears throat> when you found out like what the events were going to be? Was it as you were like walking out to do the event or did you have like a 20 minute heads up? Did they like – we had like a two hour heads up. Okay. So you could like warm up for something somewhat appropriately. You know, I suppose, but my event was this, the, the big cannonball thing. So, you know, besides like warming up my core, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I just, you know, try to stay calm. It is. That is really, that'd be really nerve wracking for me. Like I am, I am also a planner. I love prepping things, even just like scheduling this podcast. I, I really like, you can see, I can be a bit neurotic about things. It would throw me off so much to like be sitting in a room and be like, okay, this is what you're going to be doing in an hour. And it's some physical task I've never done before. Do you think, right. uh, you know, do you think that got to some competitors? You, did you see people like on edge that put them on tilt? Oh, I mean, it got to me. <laughs> I, 
think the people who did the best on this show were the military people. Mm. Um, because you know, with military, you're trained to respond physically to any type of um, any type of stimuli. So they were great at that. Another thing is they don't tell you this, but the show is filmed between the hours of like 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. Because it has to be filmed at night because it's filmed outdoors. I, I do not lift at night. So being tired, being nervous, being stressed out, everything was very hard on me. But I think if you're a military person, that's fine because they're used to those conditions and they all did well. Interesting. That actually makes that makes quite a bit of sense. Um, what did what was the reaction from you know your social media followers, your friends, your family, kind of when the show was announced and also when it when your episode aired? Oh, I think everyone was really happy for me. I was I was so surprised because uh, spoiler alert, I don't do well in the show. You know, I, I once again I got lucky and they put me on the poster anyways. So I think that's like the biggest victory. But, you know, I myself, I didn't win. I didn't get the semifinals. But all my friends and family, they were they were so happy for me. And they everyone watched my episode regardless. And, you know, even when they when I knew I lost, they they were still happy for me. I, that's it's it's I mean, it was really neat. And you were when they were promoting the show. I mean, I remember your I heard you were on it and then I started seeing the collateral for it, like the posters, the trailers and your face was everywhere. I was like, Oh my God, I know her. I met her. Um, <laughs> which is super cool. Did that, you know, so do you think that has that opened up more opportunities? Have you been, have you been approached by other, whether it's casting directors, producers, other shows or any, any, anything else after that? Mostly just creepy guys on Instagram. Oh, uh, well that's, that's probably nothing new in your world. <laughs> I got a free protein. Bar. I got a few free protein bars here and there out of it, but uh, nothing yet. We'll see. Uh, we're we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk like a year from now, and you're gonna be you're gonna have like a recurring role on some like NBC <laughs> comedy. And you're gonna be like, yeah, they just showed me, to, told me to show up one day, and and you know now I'm now I have my own show or something like that. I wouldn't be too surprised. That would um, be the best. <laughs> if it's if it's gonna happen to anyone, it's gonna happen to you. What <laughs> what do you think the Titan Games? Now, obviously, look, the Titan Games. It was not athletes doing the squat, bench press, deadlift. It was not athletes doing the snatch and the clean and jerk. I mean, it was right. these kind of like gladiatorial larger than life implements. It looked more honestly, more like the world's strongest man competition or something. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But it did get a lot of strength athletes, a lot of power lifters, crossfitters, mainstream exposure. Um, You know, what is the impact you think shows like that have on the perception of strength training in the mainstream? Um, you know, I think shows like the Titan Games are great for uh, powerlifting and strength sports in the mainstream. Because if you watch the show, you see that Charity Witt won, and she is a powerlifter and a strong woman, mm-hmm. and she's muscular, and she's very beautiful. So people like her actually give um, female lifters a very positive image. People, you know, a lot of women used to think, oh, well, if um, I'm a bodybuilder, I'm going to look dysmorphic and big and gross and like a man. But then they see someone like Charity Witt, who's actually very strong, as as um most of the other competitors were. Everyone was very strong and very feminine. There were there were none of these like negative stereotypes of women in strength sports. So I think any female who would be apprehensive about strength sports might look at any of these girls and say, Well, you know, these girls all look wonderful and they're also strong and they can do all these like crazy tasks. And a fun fact, they didn't scale down any of the tasks for the women. So pound for pound, we did more work than the men, right? You look at that and you see pretty girls doing it who have great bodies. And I mean, I would say that's great for powerlifting. That's good for strong women. 
Um, that is interesting how they didn't, they didn't scale any, any of the tasks and they didn't, it wasn't weight classed. So you weren't, it was, it was all kind of an open category. So it wasn't like the 52 kilo Titan games. Right. Interesting. That's very interesting. Another thing I think that the, that I found from the Titan games from, from friends and family of mine who, um, you know, know what I do with bar bend, but still might not like follow along super, super closely is it did start to, I think, break down this perception that all strength sports are just bodybuilding, which is, I think, right. one of the most prevalent things. Do you do you still find, like, when people, when you say you're a power lifter, do people confuse powerlifting and bodybuilding more than anything else, do you think? All the time. People will ask if I put on a sequence bikini and spray tan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me because, I mean, I've, I've, I've met you, I've, Met you in person, and it made me want to wear long sleeves. No, I'm, I'm completely kidding. But <laughs> you've got like you've got fantastic muscular definition, especially in your arms. So I think that I do wonder if people like in the mainstream when they find out you're a powerlifter, if they do misconstrue that for bodybuilding. Yeah, I think I get that a lot too, and I also I get um, typically with the responses, "Are you a bodybuilder?" Uh, I, I will say, "No, I'm a powerlifter," and then they will respond with, "Oh, you don't look like one." And I know they always mean it in a nice way. They mean you don't look like a man. It's it is interesting because yeah, I mean powerlift, powerlifting, weightlifting. I think powerlifting especially. There's just so many different body type body types. You go from yeah. the lower classes, lower weight classes to the super heavies. If you ask me to describe what a powerlifter is, someone who's covered the sport for years now, I have no idea what to say. I absolutely have like no idea, just because there's such such a range. So it is interesting that still people kind of like get ahead of that and they'll apologize. They're like, no offense, but you right. don't look like this thing you are. Right. <laughs> um, what do you think, how do you think powerlifting itself to kind of scope, go into a broader scope here? How do you think the sport itself has changed in the seven or eight years that you've been involved in it? Uh, oh, the sports become way more mainstream. CrossFit has done so much for powerlifting. As much as powerlifters love to hate on CrossFit, we really owe them because prior to CrossFit, we were considered like, you know, the really fat, ugly brother of strength sports. And um, with CrossFit, it's it's cool for women to be strong. It's it's hot for women to be strong. It's hot for women to have muscle. So, and I, I think CrossFit is kind of like the gateway drug to all strength sports because most people who are powerlifters and um Weightlifters and strong women, especially women, they'll say they got into this sport through um, through CrossFit. So I think it's great. I think powerlifting has become more mainstream. You see, there's a large variety of people. It's not just these like meatheads. It's a lot of normal people. It's a lot of former athletes. And that's a lot of first-time athletes. Mm. I, I noticed that I always thought that my stereotype, even kind of before CrossFit with, had brought strength sports mainstream, was I hung out with a lot of weightlifters. Um, and weightlifters, we always consider ourselves like the big nerds. It was mm-hmm. a lot of like PhDs, doctors, people who were overeducated and just kind of wanted to like feel smarter than everyone else. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's something that you find across strength sports these days. You find a lot of, especially for like masters athletes or people who find the sport a little later, you find these like hyper overachievers and these type A personalities because they always want to change something about themselves, and strength sports is a great way to never be satisfied <laughs> with yeah. your performance. Yeah, that's true. Do you think that um, you know? Do you th- find that people who come to you or 
are, are finding the sport and maybe, you know, reach out to you about it. Um, and, you know, do you find like commonalities between them? Do you find that they tend to be people of like a certain background or a certain like, you know, uh, career or industry, or is it, is it pretty broad these days? I think it's pretty broad, but it's usually more petite women. Mm. So I, the rationale here is they look at me and they see someone who's like relatively small for a power lifter. And they think, well, this person who's not like gigantic and mannish can do it. Maybe I can too. Interesting. What do you think is the biggest mistake a lot of new power lifters you see or work with uh, might make just when they're, they're first getting into the sport? I think they're too obsessed with body weight. I was too. Um, I mean, I probably still am now. I am a girl, you know, after all. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of women try to do aggressive weight cuts. They want to go down a weight class because a lot of us get into the sport because we wanted to lose weight. And then there, are, there's like this other half of the spectrum that's like very aggressively always trying to gain weight too. And I think part of that is because of Mark Ripplito. You know, in starting strength, he tells you like to get strong, you have to gain an enormous amount of weight your first year. Just always be eating. So there's that, there's that like drink a gallon, go mad gallon of milk yeah, a day. There's this really heavy emphasis placed on body weight the first year, but realistically, the first year that's probably not the biggest thing you want to be concerned about. You probably want to be concerned about a safe training regimen in good form. Mm -hmm. Do you think that when people get into powerlifting, something that as I learned more about powerlifting, um, coming more from a weightlifting background, was I really underestimated the role that technique plays and and the role mm -hmm. that technique development plays. Because, you know, how you squat, how you bench press, how you deadlift your first year in the sport may be very, very different than how you're doing those movements three years later on. Um you know, are you someone who encourages lifters to kind of experiment with form or do you think that people should kind of lock it in earlier in their careers and just practice that? Uh, I think your form should always evolve. There's certain things that are easier to learn when you're a beginner. So, you know, maybe your first two years, you'll have a squat that's one way. And then as you get stronger, as your CNS develops, then you'll probably like make your, make tweaks to your form to make it a more advanced type of technique. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, I don't think anyone should be stagnant ever in anything they do, but not even in lifting. I think there's this misconception of whatever works the first time is going to work every time. Mm -hmm. You know, things change as uh, you get, as you get better, your technique should be more specific to however you are in that moment. How has your technique on the three main powerlifting <laughs> movements changed over time, uh, over your career? Well, I think the easiest one is like the bench arch has only gotten more dramatic as, it, <laughs> as the years have gone on. Um, I, I'd say so my deadlift and my squat technique were not great to start. My squat technique is still not wonderful. Uh, I think with deadlift, the only, the only reason I've gone away with not having like the best technique is because my back's very strong. But over the years, I think I'm trying to put a bigger emphasis on my lower half rather than just throwing my back into everything at once. So I'm, trying to put more of my entire body into the movement and hopefully that'll lead to bigger gains because it's not just one muscle group doing everything. Mm -hmm. um, the next question I wanted to ask in regard to, you know, powerlifting training and, and competition prep is training frequency. You know, how has your training frequency evolved as, as you've gotten stronger, as you've gotten more experienced in the sport and as those gains maybe over time come a little bit slower? Training frequency for me is pretty inconsistent relative to other athletes. I, I work a very aggressive job. So currently 
I travel maybe three days a week. And when I travel, I don't get a chance to go to the gym. So when that happens, the training frequency suffers. I'd say at this point, I probably train three and a half days a week. When I first started, I trained maybe four days a week the first two years. As my stamina got better, I bumped it up to five. I think by year four, I tried doing like six shorter sessions. And then maybe maybe two or three years ago, as the weight started getting heavier, um, five or six sessions a week was just too hard. I just needed more more time to to rest. So then I bumped it back down to four to five. Uh, you know, I, I think frequency is, it can be as high as your recovery allows. And that's always going to be different. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that change that sleep is the most important thing, sleep and nutrition, and then just external stressors. So if the sleep and nutrition are great, which it seldom is for me, and the external stressors are low, I would try to do like five to six sessions. If it's six, they're very, very short sessions. And then I try to like sleep a lot and I try to never be in a calorie deficit. You can you can always figure out how well a strength athlete's life is going by like if you ask them how their recovery is. Oh, yeah. You can you can figure out you can just infer things about like their personal relationships, their job, their sleep, how they're eating with like just like oh how are you recovering these days? <laughs> it's like yeah, the ultimate so- question. Do you um so since you're traveling so much for work and your your training schedule and frequency are always up and down, are you doing anything when you're on the road? Whether it's mobility. Uh, like uh, body weight work? Uh, is there is there anything that you kind of like incorporate into your travel routine to be a little bit more training ready when you do kind of land back at home? I always travel with a lacrosse ball because I find that when I travel, I'm very stiff, not just from previous workouts, but actually mostly from being like crunched up on a plane. Mm. So I'll a lacrosse ball and, you know, I'll try to mobilize the foam roll. It's I'm pretty realistic that I won't get a workout in. So I just try to stay like healed and um, nimble. Gotcha. And it, those, you're, so your, your frequency is about three and a half, three and a half mm-hmm. sessions a week, call it. What kind of uh, duration are those for? Are you talking, we're talking like hour sessions, two hour sessions. Are you trying to get in the main movements and your accessory movements into the same sessions? I try to get in the main and the accessory. So I'd say probably two hours. Okay. Uh, do you, and do you find the recovery time like in an ideal world? How much time, say you were at home for a stretch of like two weeks, how much time would you have to recover or do you need to recover between those? Those those are pretty big sessions. Two hours is like a lot of time to put your body under that stress. How long between sessions do you need to recover optimally? So in the ideal world, I'd say like 48 hours. I could bench Monday, have a good session, then bench again Wednesday. Awesome. What is your nutrition? Uh, what does your nutrition look like these days? Do you, uh, you know, <laughs> do not come to me for a nutrition um, for like a nutritional model because I can tell you what to do, but I myself I eat like a seven year old. <laughs> is it like just like Frosted Flakes and Fruit Loops all the time? No, it's more like Frosted Cupcakes and like. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you so you know you know like you're not uh, like strict like paleo keto or anything particular thing like that no so uh well i'd say if anything i follow something closer to the atkins diet i do very high protein um and then i kind of like switch off between like medium fat or carbs depending on how the needs of the day feel Mm, gotcha gotcha um so you hear you heard it here folks go to emily for all tips on bench pressing and most things in powerlifting 
but don't follow her nutritional model. <laughs> you can you can patent the cupcake diet in a few years if you want. Yeah, I world think records. so. Yeah, be just cupcakes with ice cream and then lots and lots of coffee. What is your what is so like after weigh-ins between weigh-ins and actually lifting? You know, everyone has like their go-to thing. I've heard pop tarts. I've heard cupcakes. Some Twizzlers was something that I hear people do. Do what's like your your refuel, if you will? Ooh, nachos. Nachos? Yeah, but like not not right away because my stomach is always so sensitive. Like the first two hours after I weigh in, so it's probably something sugary. But then, like the big thing I look forward to is something cheesy. Okay, okay, that is like. That's a new one for me. Normally, you don't. <laughs> you hear people go for like the sweet stuff, nachos. I gotcha. Uh, what's your favorite? Where's your favorite place to get to get nachos close to where you live? Oh, there's this place called Nacheria. Um, they have the best chips, and then they do that American style liquid queso. I love that. All right, aggressive. Is it? Is it like the Velve- like the melted Velveeta style? Yeah. Oh, that's an aggressive choice. Wow. <laughs> Okay. She likes what she likes. Um, so is there anything, the last thing I kind of wanted to cover in this conversation, Emily, is I know that you're a very cerebral person. Um, I know that you, you do a lot on the recovery that side that we haven't even gotten a chance to talk about in this podcast. Um, but you know, you've already talked about CNS nervous system preparation. Um, is there anything that you do on that end that is a little different or maybe, you know, something that a lot of other lifters aren't really focusing on too much when it comes to recovery and performance? Hmm. I don't know. I place a pretty heavy importance on um, foam rolling and the lacrosse ball, but I don't think that's any different from any other power lifter. Um, I'm a really big fan of fish oil. So I I do take a lot of natural supplements I think help. So there's like fish oil, there's NAC, there's glutathione. So um big on antioxidants. I, I studied nutrition like a little a little bit after I got into powerlifting. I got an online certification in nutrition, so I could get a good idea of better ways I could rehab myself. And I'd say at the end of the day, what's really important is sleeping a lot and eating eating well. Mm-hmm. So I try to focus on that. Other than that though, I don't think I do anything like magical that no one else has tried before. Gotcha. And what do you think? So we've talked about how powerlifting's changed since you've been involved. What do you think is next for the sport looking in the range of, you know, the next five to to 10 years? You know, I hope that in five to 10 years, powerlifting has like the same kind of reach that CrossFit does. I don't know if that will happen, but I, I think it's likely, um, you know, powerlifting is an easy sport for first timers to get into. So I think that's going to make it a very popular sport for adults. I, you know, marathons used to be that uh, Mm -hmm. about 10 years ago. Hopefully, hopefully powerlifting will become the next like five five k and marathon um, trend among adults. Well, what, what what's the equivalency there? Because like a, you people when they start off running, they'll start with like the five k, then they'll do the half marathon, then the full. So do people is that like in powerlifting the deadlift only meet, then the push pull meet, then the full meet is like the full marathon? Yeah, it's probably like you join the gym, you do like a a fun meet, or you do like a single event meet, then you do a regional meet, then uh you know and then you get more serious and then maybe you cut weight for the first time. Maybe you travel for the first time. I like that. I like that. Well, I'm, I'm personally, and I'm biased. I'm glad I hope powerlifting and strength sports becomes the new, the new marathoning. Cause I am so tired of hearing people talk about running 26 miles. Oh, it's just, it's just, painful. 
<laughs> it's just so exhausting sounding. Well, Emily, thanks so much for coming on today. If people want to follow along with, uh, you know, what you're doing, how you're how you're training, um, you know, where's the best way to kind of tune in? You can find me on Instagram. The handle is Ami the Bench Bra. Ami is A M I. Awesome. And is, bra is that B R A H? That's right. Gotcha. Okay. Remember to have the H at the end, folks. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining. It's always a pleasure chatting with you and um, really, really looking forward to uh, what's next for you. Do you have any upcoming competitions? Um, you know, Boss of Bosses is coming up around the corner. So thinking of training for that, it's hard though, because with my work schedule this quarter, I won't be around very often. So we'll see what happens there. Otherwise, maybe it's the end of the year. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Emily. Appreciate it. <laughs>